that was such a humbling experience for me. And I feel like the podcast has created my own spiritual journey in learning about myself. And if you're willing and open to be receptive, it's such a gift and you gain so much knowledge and connection from that. This is In Good Faith, where it's our privilege to hear stories and accounts from believers told in their own words. Our hope is to listen with an open heart, celebrating the power of faith and belief and what those stories mean to the ones who tell them. On this week's In Good Faith, we're not only a podcast, but we are bringing you two different sets of podcasters. And these folks are really fun to listen to. They're good talkers. (laughs) I'm in studio with senior producer Heather Bigley. Hello. Happy to be here. And also with producers Leah King. Hi. Thanks for having me. And Emma Engelbretson. Hi. I'm so excited to talk about today's episode. So every year, the BYU Law School has an annual conference called the Religious Freedom Review, and they bring in religious influencers and thinkers from all over the country, sometimes all over the world. But they had a special focus this year on community. So In Good Faith got involved. We actually hosted and moderated two panels. And the guests were fabulous. (laughs) (laughs) And we hope our lifelong friends. Right. And they are from a podcast called Three Black Men and another one called Mommying While Muslim, as well as from Americanish, Adela Kohab came and was with us. If you remember from our episode where we, in fact, interviewed Americanish. Yes, yes. So, community in church, you usually think fellowship and just support each other. And then, if you want to take it one step further, you reach out into the place where you live to try and do good. But what about the digital space? I know. And that's what's fascinating about podcasting in general. And the experience we are, in fact, having right here with our audience is our audiences all over the world. And we are creating a community, a safe space, even if you want. And this is why podcast communities are so important to people. They offer them a chance to both hear new ideas and also feel supported uh, in their own ideas. I definitely agree with you, Heather. I think that like the internet can be a great way for us to connect and kind of sort through things that are difficult. I like that three black men, they're willing to kind of discuss these just issues and and their experiences and kind of give people an opportunity to process things that can be harder to process in a face-to-face conversation. And I should mention that those two panels we mentioned, we will put that audio in special bonus edition. So subscribe to In Good Faith and you will automatically get those when they come out. Let's start with three black men. The hosts are Trey Ferguson, also Samuel Gay. And I started off by asking Robert Monson how they met. So famously, we met on Twitter and social media has this negative air around it, right? And plenty of people talk about the the dangers of social media. But we met through some events on Twitter, and we formed this group chat where we would talk about a variety of things, right? Whether it's sports, politics, religion, and racism, different things that we were experiencing um, in 2020. And out of the overflow of that, we started to think about, okay, why don't we bring these conversations that we're having, these FaceTimes, uh, conversations that we have, almost every day during the pandemic. And why don't we bring this and put this in a podcast form, right? And so uh, the overflow of our friendship kind of uh, brought about this idea that maybe we could have these conversations where other people could hear them. It's called Three Black Men. Mm -hmm. So why does that matter? What do you think, Trey? We have mental images when we say word. Like if I say the word God, there's there's an image that pops in your head, and it's going to vary from person to person. But often there's a default image. When you say the word, if we would have called this three Christian men, a lot of times the default image that would have popped up was some reformed white man in yeah, of know, course, yeah, in a tweed jacket, right? Um, in the same instance I'm that if my like, jacket, right? right. Yeah, okay, yeah. Steve, we got right. you, we got right. you, right. we got you, Steve. Um, but in the same way, if, if you were to name a podcast uh, three Mormons, right? Like yeah. you would, you would think of probably three middle-aged white men or the distinguished, um, you know, white, white shirts, ties. Did, yes, white yeah. shirts and ties. But that, that doesn't 
explain the fullness of of the Latter Day Saints. Mm-hmm. It doesn't explain the 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 uh, Pacific Islanders who who, are, who have a heavy uh, Latter Day Saint presence as well. And so we wanted to be upfront with the fact that no, mm-hmm. oh, okay, yes, although all three of us are Christians, we have distinct walks, and the fact that before we were we knew who we were as mm-hmm. Christians before Rob even became a Christian, we we're black mm-hmm. and that impacts the way that we interact with the world in much the same way the the way that you understand the world and culture and everything will be different than another uh, Mormon who happens to be from Guam and we wanted to name that very specifically that well, th- this impacts how we interact with and experience the world and life yeah. and this is mm-hmm. a perfectly valid place for doing life and theology yeah mm-hmm. yeah I think in 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 so many ways that was a way of like just claiming a space to say like listen it is possible for us to represent the black community it is possible for us to represent black men but we are still individuals mm-hmm. um there's still Rob there's still Trey there's still Sam right we have our own theological upbringings and um backgrounds we have our own um experiences we've have we have our own trauma we have all of these different things that work with our theological beliefs that sort of form who we are right and what we believe uh and so every episode that's highlighted right um we don't always agree right but like we just have different perspectives and it's not even about whether we agree or not right there's just a shared perspective on various topics Mm -hmm. and you get three different perspectives from three different men that can be totally different but representing the same community and does this tie in with George Floyd and some of those those really horrific events, did that have any influence on you wanting to be able to speak? Or is that a separate thing that was kind of in the background? What do you think, Sam? It's coincidental that we were in a pandemic, these things happened, and we found each other and started a podcast. But f- just from listening to the stories of my two co-hosts, there's enough <laughs> there's enough trauma there's enough life experience for us to have this podcast without even uh stepping in and talking about George Floyd I mean and and we should right without talking about Ahmad Arbery because we have our own experiences of being followed we have our own experiences of racial discrimination from from elementary school yeah. Right? right yeah I want to name something real quick I don't think that that George Floyd and and Ahmad Arbery and Breonna Taylor impacted the way that we uh, approach this. I think this impacted the way that, to be frank, white people listened. Um, mm-hmm. I, I think I, I don't think it impacted our content so much as it impacted yeah. our audience because what that did was bring to crystal high definition clarity the reality to a lot of people that their perspectives and, and the, the information mm-hmm. and the content they were consuming was very limited. Mm-hmm. And some people sought out black voices and and we happen to to be some of the black voices that people listen to in there. So I will say it didn't necessarily impact the content, but I must say that in 2020, when we started this podcast, we were hearing a lot of bad takes mm. from people. There were a lot of people trying to give answers about what is impacting black people. Bad takes made me say, I want to speak by myself for myself, mm-hmm. right? Like mm-hmm. I don't, in my content isn't pushing back uh, against what you believe about black people. I just want to speak for myself, yes. right? And be be named and be counted in that way. So the podcast is Three Black Men, and tell me the subtitle. This is interesting to me. Yeah, so the subtitle is Theology, Culture, and the World Around Us. We're multifaceted, right? Um, we wanted to bring all of ourselves to the table. Um, we're more than just thinkers and theologians and pastors and... Fathers and all, we we experience life just the way everybody else does, um, and so why not bring a perspective from three black men who love God, right? Who try to live a life that that models a labor of love um, in every area, uh, it, whether it be from our friendships to marriages to uh, just creating content for people, um, relatable content, all of those things that it grew out of. Online yeah. conversations, mostly typed with thumbs at first, I'm guessing, yeah, or truly, Twitter. Truly I'm pretty indeed. amazed by that. Why, of all things that you could talk about, theology, why does this hit home for you? Why was that the thing you had to have? For me, theologizing, I view it as like an active form of doing like constructive theology, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and 
the fact of the matter is, I think there's a need to constantly be reevaluating the things that we believe about God and at times adjusting those when they don't align with the truth that we currently live in, right? Mm. Uh, people are just now finding out about this concept and this word of deconstruction in the field of religion. And one of the reasons we want to talk about this is not necessarily uh, because we're all about deconstruction. Okay. Can you define deconstruction? Yeah, when we talk about deconstruction, it's the process of examining all of your beliefs. Uh, what are these things that we believe? Why do we believe them? Are they serving us well? And are they telling us the truth about God? Right, And when we do that as theologians, like with whatever theological training we have available to us, um, there's healing that takes place when you recognize that some of the things that we believe about God and about human nature are actually not true. <laughs> um, they're harmful. <laughs> right. They're, they're, they're harmful and destructive. And one of the best ways forward, one of the best ways to heal is to, to reexamine those things, to name those things, and to see if we can chart a, a course forward as, as to how, how can we live a more holistic life. Uh, I'm just picturing the, the set of blocks I use with, with my granddaughters. Right. Uh, that, yeah, let's take these. We're going to keep them all, and then we're going to look at them one by one as we put the house back. It might even be the same house, but we will have consciously chosen every block in it. Right. Mm -hmm. And so I want to go back further in your lives for theology, and I wonder if you could each tell me just, just briefly how you knew about God and when you believed in God, that, that there was such a thing as a higher power, a God to believe in. Well, I grew up as an atheist, and so my presupposition is was that there there is no God. And I always love to tell people that I grew up as a black atheist, not just an atheist, but a black one, because my social location did inform what I believe about a higher power, right? When I surveyed the landscape of Chicago, the the racial inequalities there— the way that black people were brutalized, to me, is it's obvious that there's no God, right? I came to faith later in life, and I would say for me, I had this ever-burgeoning curiosity about how did we get here and who gets to dictate how we interact with one another. Mm -hmm. And so my conversion story is a long story, but I would just say I grew up with looking at the world and seeing that there's no possible way a loving God could create this. But there was a real experience uh, in college that led me to believe in God. But I really understand why people don't believe in God, truly. For me, I was raised in church from a baby. And it's always interesting because I feel like I've had this conversation a few times in my life, just kind of going through the different theological circles because every time I think I find God again, right? Mm -hmm. And I almost feel like there's this like, no, this is really where God is. I, I don't recall having like a, an epiphany moment. But what I do find is that when I look back and I see even through my childhood, through adolescence, through my teenage years, through my, you know, 20s and early 30s and all of my knucklehead years, I literally see the hand of God holding me. And that right there is enough for me to believe through whatever theological questions that I have. Something has held me, right? Something has kept me. Something has, something, someone, God has softened my heart to a place where I feel like for, for a long time, I feel like I've had a lot of reasons to hate a lot of people, but yet I found myself drawn by love and to love. And so it's just that I rest in that. That's where I find peace and like knowing, okay, now nah, I'm confident in believing that God is real. Yeah. Like, Sam, I grew up in church. My mother loves telling the story of how I was born on a Wednesday and in church that Sunday. <laughs> um, but With a bow tie. <laughs> <laughs> but my story is a little bit like that of Jacob in the Bible where Abraham has a relationship with this God. And then Isaac inherits this relationship with this God. And then Jacob is born, lives a life, has some mischievous activities going on. He's a little... That's a great uh, way to deceitful. say that, mischievous. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but there's one point in the story of Genesis where Jacob has a conversation and he says, look, if you will do this for me, like if this is how our relationship goes, then you will be my God. And it's not until Jacob makes an actual decision 
that Jacob comes to know God as as the the, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, right? Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's a revelation that I had for myself uh, in young adulthood. Eventually, when I was like, okay, no, this is no longer just the faith that my mother and my father handed on to me. This yeah. is my own faith, mm-hmm. and it's one that I am constantly. Um, learning and growing in and learning new things about God, right? Thinking about who does God have to be in order to wear that title? And if the Bible is true and it says that God is love, what does that mean? What is love? What does it demand of us? And the one thing that we see consistently um, throughout the, the Christian scriptures is that God is always in the business of moving people towards wholeness, right? Calling and enslaved people out of Egypt and giving them a promised land or um, God in, in, in the person of Jesus going around and feeding multitudes and healing sick people and things of that nature. So when we talk about like what that what that is like for me, theology and, and, and this coming to a moment of God is always moving closer to who God is revealed to be. Um, not only through the stories of scripture, but here in the lives that we live right now. Yeah. Where where can we find God? Where do we see people drawn closer to wholeness and, and overcoming the obstacles that have been put their way? That that's that's where we find God. And and that's at the heart of the theology that I now hold and, and get excited about crafting, you know. I never really felt like I was a real grown up mm. until I saw that I was passing on something good to one of my kids. And I thought, mm. hey, that's what that's what grown ups do. They pass on mm. the good stuff. Mm. To, and I'm just wondering, for your faith or, or your relationship with God, how has child-rearing affected that? I think one of the more interesting things for me is I have three children on a different stage. I have uh, my youngest will be nine next month. I have a 10-year-old son and a 16-year-old daughter. And I belong to a faith tradition where we don't baptize you until you make your own profession of faith. At this juncture, all three of my children have made professions of faith and been baptized, but my oldest is going through a place where she is questioning the veracity of some biblical stories and some faith claims. And originally, I think there was some fear, particularly me being in in vocational ministry, me being a, a clergy person. She exhibited some nerves around having those questions. And what I wanted to communicate to her, I was like, this is what I do. I deal in the questions. If you are harboring doubts, let me know. I'm not here to judge those doubts. I'm not even here to erase those doubts. I'm here to affirm the fact that God gave you a rational mind so that you can work through these things, right? Mm -hmm. And so just the very nature, I think about the fact that the, and, and it's not to point out anybody's flaws or, or faults, but there, there was nobody to have those conversations with me as I wrestled with doubt. And one of the things that um, being being a father in this space and, and even dealing with this podcast has let me do is it's helped me to navigate through doubt and, and walk other people yeah. through that process mm-hmm. as well. And letting you know that, look, no, you don't need to feel as though you're deficient mm-hmm. or that you're, you're somehow doing this thing wrong because you have these questions. Yeah. Sometimes... I believe God gives you those questions because as you have these questions, you begin to ask more questions, you begin to wrestle, and you begin to pursue paths that might actually help lead somebody else closer to wholeness. Yeah. For me, I try to be a safety net for my kids as opposed to like a staunch disciplinarian, right? One of the things that I've learned and and I appreciate is grace. So I never want my kids to feel like they're in the way, Mm. but I want them to know like it's okay to take up space. You don't have to feel like you're in the way taking up your space. This space is yours. So acting as a safety net for my kids so that they can ask those questions, they, they have room for doubt. I don't think faith is absence of doubt. I think there's room for faith and doubt. I think what keeps faith is the hope. Right. And as long as there's a hope that there is something better, there is something to move forward to or move better towards. That's my goal. Right. Is to build up a hope in them, a hope for a better future, a hope for a better them, just a hope that that is never ceasing. That's really my goal. They're individuals, right? I want them to know what agency is and to practice that. Granted, I have still have two that are toddlers, and agency with them is difficult, right? Because no, you can't. And dangerous. Right, you can't just surf on the rocking chair. That's not what we're doing right now. That's not safe. But it looks different. And it's like, okay, well, if they fall, I have a plan to help them get up. 
You're listening to In Good Faith. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Good Faith. You're not by any means old, but you're mature. You've yes. got some maturity. Well, Rob is old. Yeah. Don't do that. See, I, I, <laughs> don't do I that. opened this up. I did that. I'm just going to ask uh, no, my It's question. just him. It's okay. not you, it's him. What do you think differently or understand differently about God now than you did, I don't know, five, ten years ago? Yeah, I think for me, I profoundly think that God is more loving than we give God credit yes. for. Yes, Right? Like, yes. I— yes. I came to know that that's the the confession of which I first believed, but two decades later, I think that God is way more loving, way more persevering, way more willing to go to the depths than we give God credit yeah. for. Yeah, interesting. Yeah, I think in that same vein, um, right, and 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 we say it, but I didn't really truly understand it intuitively until I got older that uh, God's love for me don't have nothing to do with me. Right, it's not because of of anything that I've done. That just in the very being of of who we are as people, that that's why God loves. That that's why God desires wholeness for us. Um, so regardless of where you find somebody, regardless of where they are politically, regardless of what their gender expression is or their mm-hmm. sexual orientation is, like none, none of that has anything to do with God's love for them. And some people like to go with the whole, oh, God loves sinners but hates the sin. And I'm like, okay, that might be true. You, you kind of made that verbiage up though. Like, and, and we're, you're, you're pushing an agenda when you say that. The fact mm-hmm. of the matter is that like, even if you look at the story of the Exodus, it's not anything that the Hebrew people did for God to rescue them other than cry out That's in right. agony. They didn't even cry out to God. They cried out in agony. God hears that. God's like, no, we don't do that. God's mm-hmm. love is what it is. Yeah. His love is just vastly deeper and wider than I ever could imagine. And that's brought such an appreciation, just understanding that, because I don't know that there is a shallow portion to love, right? I think love is just deep and wide. Love is meant to cover Right, love is meant to encompass all, uh, and that's just the way I see God being um, as this huge net of love that He can catch whatever He wants, and He's not threatened by some of the things that we think that He's or we would pose that He's threatened by. I'm curious if when you felt that God really loved you and you had you were of worth and worthy of love, did you love God more because of that? Yes, I, I think. For me, that was what got me. I grew up with a father who was mostly disappointed in me and expressed that often. And so for me, that love of God aspect is what drew me further personally, yeah. I think I think I did love God more because of that, but more importantly, I loved other people more because of uh, that, right? Yeah. And mm. if you notice, if you listen to the podcast, I, I use the word beloved a lot. You know, it's, it's in the intro and everything. Yeah. And it's a cute thing that people laugh at sometimes, but it's something like, even as I'm disagreeing, <laughs> when, when, when I'm battling trolls online, I often be like, hey, beloved. Um, because even as I'm chastising a thing you're saying, I need to affirm your identity that you you are beloved of God. God loves you regardless of how I feel about you right now. Your identity is rooted in the love that God has yeah. for you. Yeah. I think it it taught me what love more so truly was so that I could actually love God and yeah. actually love people. Yeah. There was this there was this affirming and confirming presence about it that just made me feel comfortable and at peace with who I am in God. So, yeah. So, that was three black men, Trey Ferguson, Samuel Gay, and Robert Monson, and it was a real delight to have them on our show. One of the things I like best about the whole idea of their audience not being who they thought was that other people were trying to expand their own understanding. And we talked about this being around the time of uh, Black Lives Matter and uh, several really tragic incidents. But I'm happy that a lot of people opened themselves up and thought, I need to know more, I need to listen more. This is actually how I found these guys. I thought, what can I listen to that will inform me more than just reading some headline or hearing opinions of people I already know? Yeah. And I was re- of course, you can hear, they're really fun to listen to, these guys, and they've got a great rapport, but there's a lot of depth. And that's why I thought, we just need to have these guys. 
they definitely just talked about how you can kind of get comfortable in your own sort of like echo chambers or like the stories that you hear and what you're exposed to. Right. And so sort of like you said, Steve, sometimes we need to be willing to go beyond the stories or the news sources or whatever that we typically turn to. But it can be hard sometimes to get out of what's really comfortable and what we like. You know, listening to them and listening to them talk about deconstruction and sort of this expansive view of God, I was reminded of how some people are saying right now is a new reformation for Christianity, right? We're again looking at what is true, what is not true, um, how it impacts us, what is it that we believe about God. And I really loved how Trey was setting out those questions for us. I love the way that these men ended their conversation with us on a note of God's love. I think that's a really important message that— is one of the first instilled in a lot of religions, but also often one of the first that we forget. And so Trey is talking about how he's responding to trolls online and how he always responds to them as <laughs> beloved because he says he wants to first and foremost <laughs> remind them who they are. You are beloved, even if we disagree. And I just think that's really powerful. We have a moment of God's love coming up in the in this next interview. So we have the co-hosts of Mommying While Muslim, Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jafri. Uh, and these two women, lifelong friends, they have a bravery and a willingness to take on really tough questions, not just for uh, all of America, but for their own community. And even meeting them in person and in studio, you see they have two different views on Islam. Yeah. Uh, so Zeba was dressed in a very contemporary way. And so was Usma, although it was traditional with a headscarf and even with bright colors. But you could see that they have different ways of observing what is a faith that's still very important to each of them. So we are going to hear their origin story of how they got started. Our origin story is our dads both immigrated to this country around the same time, and they were dirt poor, so all four of them kind of scrapped together their pennies and figured out how to live together. Um, there, it's four guys that were together, and Zeba and my dad were also friends, so we are second-generation friends. And, you know, when she asked me to do a podcast, it was it was always you. Yay. Very cool. And why did you ask her to do a podcast? I was I was on a quest for answers, and I knew if I couldn't find it, that she would at least have the resources. So I literally called her up and I'm like, you know, I'm trying to explain um, to my son who was just profiled, why he was profiled at the airport and what can I tell him or who can I reach out to so I can get talking points to talk to him. I tried to be nice. She and was not nice. as calmly as I could, I was like, <laughs> what possessed you to go to the airport as a Muslim and not have IDs for every single person regardless of age? Mm. So. And she had just never, never thought of that. And I was like, well, flying while Muslim, you always take your blue passport with you to prove that you belong here because that has been my experience. Mm. And so I said, hey, there's nothing, nothing around, you know, this particular topic and how to approach our kids. And she asked me if I'd be willing to speak on a podcast about it. And I said, well, of course, you know, I'm a certified speaker. I can speak. But what's a podcast? <laughs> I think people are a little bit shocked by our personalities, but it's all good. But it's I think fine. that's usually the most surprising thing is yes. because I'm the one who's usually off color and Zeba's not. And that's not what they expect when they see us. And yes. I'm like, wait a minute. Yes. They're like, wait a second. Like, we actually did an abortion episode. Yes. Mm. Yeah. It was very controversial. And everyone assumed I would have a certain position and that Uzma would have a certain. we had very different opinions. And we were able to have a, a, a really a good conversation. conversation. Mm -hmm. And at the end of the day, like, we agreed to disagree, but we respected each other for our differing of opinions. And that's, I think, what makes our podcast. We're unexpected. Mm -hmm. We are very different people. Um, but our, our core issue is that we're trying to do better for society as a whole, not just for Muslim moms. But, of course, that's the wheelhouse that we've been put into. And yeah. whatever we can do to help other people, that's what we're trying to do. So I wonder if I could uh, just touch on the faith aspect just mm -hmm. a little bit and then delve into what you what you thought you were going to accomplish and yes. what you are accomplishing. And part of that is just I, uh, asking about the faith background of the home you grew up in. What was what were you taught? When were you taught? How did you absorb that? So I was born Muslim. I was raised Muslim, but I have chosen as an adult to stay Muslim because I went on my own spiritual journey. My mother is a convert. She came from an Irish Catholic background. So 
we were definitely raised um, in this multi-faith upbringing, um, and and that sparked an interest in me in reading about other faiths from an early age. In my opinion, all the faiths kind of come from one trunk, and then the stems are different things, and the reality is our commonalities are very similar. Um, but Islam, from a cultural perspective, made the most sense to, to me. So we grew up celebrating Eid and Christmas and never really feeling like we had an identity crisis until other people put that onto us. Interesting. Yeah. Yeah. In our own upbringing, we never felt like we had to choose. And we strongly identified with God and and God as the unifying creator, regardless of what faith you ultimately were. So I I don't have a memory of not knowing that there was a God Mm. and that we called him Allah and that, you know, he loved me and protected me. So faith was always a really important part of uh, how we identified as a family, how we operated as a family. Even though my parents were not very religious people, like among the five pillars of Islam is ritual prayer, and my parents did not pray. The one thing I do remember is during Ramadan, they used to fast. And interestingly, my mom told me when she was growing up in East Pakistan and West Pakistan that she had never really fasted. It wasn't required, and women didn't go to the Eid prayer, which actually, in Sharia law, you must go to those mm. things, and you must fast. And she was like, we just never were taught. We learned Islam when we came to America. Mm-hmm. And that was uh, the things that my parents told me, that Islam isn't necessarily in America, but the people here act like they're Muslims. Like over there, we have Islam, but people don't act like Muslims. And so I feel like I got a pure form of Islam here, unadulterated by culture that had kind of intermixed and married with a lot of paganism and a lot of other influences that were not necessarily Islamic or necessarily the kind of spirituality that I wanted to have. But of course, like Zeba said, all of us kind of choose to either stay in our religion or choose whatever practice we're going to have. And I remember being distinctly, I was 19 with insomnia, lying in bed, and I just felt something in my chest. And it was like this overwhelming sense of, I can't describe it other than the word knowing. And I just knew at that moment that this whole life is temporal, just the way God said, and that I'm going to meet him one day, and this is real, and everything I'm doing right now counts. And it was like a split second, and I just knew, Islam is for me, God is there, and I'm good. Like, I get it. I was scared, overwhelmed, and I cried, but I feel like that was my coming to Islam as an adult. I I find it really interesting that your children are native-born American Muslims, and just to see what, what gets passed on and what doesn't? You mentioned some cultural things fell mm-hmm. by the side and, yes. and yeah. to the positive. Mm-hmm. And so it seems to me like maybe you've been able to pick the most meaningful yes. things or the yeah. most spiritually connecting aspects. 100%. I, I say those. in America, you know, Osman and I are very well traveled um, by the grace of God. In America is the place where you we can practice our religion the way it ultimately was supposed to be practiced. Yeah. And and that's without this cultural nonsense that inevitably happens, and that's what takes and pushes people away. And then they they think it's the religion, but you're like, when they do the research, they're like, yeah, this has nothing to do with the religion. This is the culture in which this happened. And honestly, when we go overseas, they are just like, you guys are so religious, quote unquote, and they're shocked. <laughs> We're really concerned that we came, we came from the decadent Western. Exactly. Yeah. And why, how, why are you guys so religious? And they and they don't necessarily say it in a positive way. Yeah. Um, whereas I feel like any kind of religion is a guide. How I joke with my kids, nothing good's going to happen if you kind of go off the beating path, right? And, and it's good to go learn and learn from your experiences, but really coming back, there's a basic core, there's a reason why for centuries there's a core philosophy in all the religions, whether it's Hinduism, Buddhism, Jainism, Christianity, Judaism, um, Islam, they all fundamentally say the same things. And it's the construct of um, the community and society that, you know, you practice simple things, don't make it complicated, and you kind of stay out of trouble for the most part. Yeah. Well, until you start a podcast. Until you start a podcast. <laughs> but then you can't let that lay heavy on you, right? Like, that's the thing. It's like the beauty of faith is knowing when you can let go. Yeah. 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 And that's, and that's such a blessing. So you have created this online community with a podcast, Momming While Muslim. And one of the most 
I, I can't find the right word. Disarming, surprising, <laughs> sort of charming. Things that I heard was that you did not start off getting the audience that you no, hope to speak no. to. Tell me about that and then how you got a broader audience. It was, I think it was because the evangelicals reached out to us that um, we have the audience we have today because without them, we would not have had, first of all, our initial audience was evangelical men and a lot of Christian people. And um, who were curious about Islam? Who yeah. were curious. And huh. they were like, we've always wanted to talk to a Muslim and have a Muslim on our podcast. Um, there was a podcasting uh, magazine. There was an article about us in there as a new podcast. And then I think some of there's a whole Christian Podcasters Association, as you must know. And so one of the writers there initially called us. Then he sent our name out to a couple of evangelical guys. So, you know, of course, we we're like, we don't know if we want to go talk to evangelicals. Maybe they're calling us on to fry us. And, you know, to convert us, we don't know what to do, you know, because, you know, while Zeba grew up in a very interfaith household, I did not, you know, I wasn't even allowed to join the Girl Scouts because my parents thought that was a way to convert Muslims. So um, there was a lot of suspicion on my part and, you know, just traumatized as I was growing up in Texas by certain communities of other faiths, I thought, oh, this is going to be bad. And then we got on and learned that, no, we were completely stereotyping an entire group of people. They were nothing but wonderful and helped us grow, actually, because we did a whole Christian podcast tour after that and came on a lot of podcasts. And that's how our initial numbers went up. Interesting. The key thing to figure out that we were also stereotyping. We were, yeah. People Mm -hmm. and made assumptions. And it was such a humbling experience. Huge learning. Because they were one of our first supporters Mm -hmm. and like advocates and like got us to come on and speak at different podcast conferences. And they were just what our, our biggest allies in the beginning when we didn't have a Muslim audience. Well, nobody continues listening to a podcast that doesn't feel relevant and real. Mm-hmm. And so I'm wondering, what is your favorite thing about the podcast that, that you've learned or how it's affected you or that you've connected with people about? I feel like I have grown as a person in hearing, you know, different, because we've covered a, such a variety of topics, which I myself have had potential thoughts about and and in, in in meeting the person, I've recognized, okay, I'm not as quote unquote woke or as uh, open-minded as I originally thought that I was. Mm-hmm. And, and that was such a humbling experience for me. And I feel like the podcast has created this, my own spiritual journey in learning about myself and I would even argue has made me a better mother as a result of learning from other other women that are going through different things. Because it doesn't matter how many kids you have or how much quote-unquote experience, everybody's experience is different. And if you're willing and open to be receptive to that, it's such a gift to be able to do that. And, and you gain so much knowledge and connection from that. For me, I remember the last big fight we had when we were 20. <laughs> We had a big fight, fight and Zeba was like, you're so judgmental. And this was my religious zealot period. So I dressed way more conservatively than I am now um, and just believed all these things and, you know, wanted to be this perfect Muslim. And I was trying to make her be a perfect Muslim. And she was like, you're so judgmental. And she was not wrong. (laughs) You know, but of course, then again, we were like 2021. Four years later, I grew my frontal cortex. It started working and lighting up, which was fantastic. Um, But it is through this podcast that you learn how judgmental you are. And not only does it improve your relationships with or potential relationships with strangers because it's almost like this suspended belief Mm -hmm. in all of humanity, but also in your own children. Yeah. Because we take that back home. We take that to our kitchen table. And now when my kids do something ridiculous, it's like I can be softer. I'm I'm not coming at them from a place of, how can you be so dumb, you know? I'm, I might be thinking it, but, you know, I feel more loving towards them. I feel like I can give them more room if they do go off the beaten track. I feel like I can still be that loving parent that I don't think I could have been maybe like nine years ago. Yeah, yeah. I agree. It's made a big difference in my life. Yeah. You're listening to In Good Faith. We'll be right back. Welcome back to In Good Faith. Here's a personal question for you. Do you feel God is happy with what you're doing? Do you have a sense of that you feel you're doing something that pleases God? 
I do because we take everything through God's eyes. And so if something like we get nominated for an award or whatever, like we instantly, we have this concept called tzedakah, where you go and pay charity. If something good happens, then you're like, I'm giving the blessings forward to somebody else. Mm. For every good thing that has happened to us, we always do that. We don't think it's owed to us because we think it's God's divine. Like this is what God, God is trying to get us we're in a we're BYU, BYU broadcasting yeah. studio right now, people. Okay. We think God's pretty happy with us. We're this. like, God's happy with us because the more we lean into it, the more we're humble and coming from a place of humility, the easier, like, it's opening up paths that she and I, five years ago, I can say with certainty, we would never have thought of. So do I think God's happy with us? Yes. Do I think bad things happen to good people? Absolutely. But you can only lean into it and just the negative things that happen, you're like, okay, it's a learning experience. Let's try to figure out, let's rewind and adjust. And I feel like the more we we do that and we're open and receptive to it, I feel like the podcast has grown tremendously because we've leaned in versus fighting against. Yeah. So always some of those ideas. It's almost like you should be a psychologist or something and oh, uh, well, counsel I, people. That's so funny. <laughs> like it's something like a, maybe I do that for a living. Yeah. Um, no, it's, it's like it's a great, it's a great, it's a great thing. Yeah, it's such yeah. a, it's a, it's a mm. blessing. Absolutely. I mean, I think God's happy with us only because in Islam there's the concept of qadr Allah, yeah. which is that you know everything for us has already been written. Like we have already met God and been together in the plane and all of humanity has been gathered and been told, your job is to go worship me, go to your job. We don't have any memory of this, of course, but we all came down here and everything that happens to us has been written. However, is there free will? Like what's the point if it's written, right? That's what the critics will ask. Well, we still have free will. Like we are the creation of God that has free will. So we can choose good or bad. He knows what's going to happen ultimately, such as you're going to be podcasting five years later, such as you're going to be at BYU. But when things like BYU happen or we get invited to a podcast conference or when we get that message from a mom or a child that says what you're doing means something to me, that to us is if we're taking care of his creation, he is taking care of us. And what is that except love, right? Yeah. So you have an interesting mixture of really practicality, like how how to be a mother how to be Muslim in a modern world where things are different than our mothers and grandmothers grew Mm -hmm. up with. So there's that. And then there's also the element of the faith that's in there. And I'm just curious, for instance, is there a a story or a a part of the Quran that's particularly meaningful to, to you that relates to what you do or is like a touchstone for you? Whenever I've had an issue, a concern, a major stress, and we've I've had a lot of stress in my life, stress and bad things that have happened to me in my family, in my children. There has never been one point where I didn't open the Quran in some way. And I kid you not, the the verbiage to get me through whatever that issue was has always been there. Mm. Every single time. And that is something that I have shared with my kids. And am I the type of parents that like how my dad was like, honestly, he would beat us if we didn't pray to be very blunt <laughs> with you. Um, but I, I tell my kids, prayer is there for you. God knows you need the prayer. So I'm going to go pray. If you want to come with me, cool. If you don't, that's on you. Nine times out of 10, they will always come to me. And they also now go to the Quran mm. when they have a stress in there. And this is my 10-year-old who was crying because his sister did not take him to Giant this morning. And and literally calling me, FaceTiming me. How could she be so mean when I was in her TikTok video? But I mean, he thought that was payment to go to Giant to get some shirt, Flamin' Hot Cheetos. That's his obsession. And I said, honey, what do you want to do? He's like, "Um," and there's an app called the Subber app. He's like, I'm going to go and do the Subber app, which means patience, essentially. And they're still fighting, but at least he wasn't yelling at her throughout the day. So I feel like in modeling that behavior as as in you have somebody bigger than you watching you, the Quran is just like a tangible way for us to to instill that into our children. Mm. I mean, I would agree with that. With When you're asking for specific verses, it's um, Adam and Eve, like having mm-hmm. to bury one, well, not having to bury one kid, but like one of their kids killed another kid. Like how devastating for a mother to, you know, can you even imagine? I can't. Like I don't even have the brain cells to put that two and two together, even though I believe it happened. 
Moses' mother put him in a basket and sailed him down. And by the miracle of God, she was his wet nurse. And by the miracle of God, he was raised by the guy who wanted to kill him. And by the miracle of God, he's the guy who ended up defeating him. Um, But it was his mother's faith that's talked about in our scripture because she was a believer, because we put it in her heart to trust us and put him in the basket. We knew better what was going to happen, and we sent, and God, you know, the we, and the plural we and God in Islam is because of the, the text of the Arabic, it's the formal I huh. is a we, right? Like kind of the kings, the, the royal speak too. The like royal that's we. The, yeah, but yeah. that's for God, right? So um, what he explains to us in the scripture is that we knew, and we sent his sister along the basket, and we knew that the wet nurse was going to be his mom, who was already full of milk, giving it to him, and she's the breast that he recognized. Um, We have a whole chapter that's called Mary about the miraculous conception of God and how Mary was like protecting herself when we believe Gabriel came and said, hey, you're going to have a kid. And she's like, no way, nobody touched me. Don't touch me. Like, I'm pure. And, you know, just... Her labor pains are described and her prayer to God is described and her coming back. So we believe in an additional miracle of Jesus that he spoke as an infant. I don't know if that's in um, the Bible, but that he defended his mother because she didn't have a male other than Jesus to defend her. In our story, there's no Joseph. Mm. There's Mary and Jesus and Mary's a single woman coming back and having to face all the scrutiny and she does it for her son. And the most powerful women in our, not in the scripture itself, but in... um, our, uh, I guess, our scholarship, like our greatest male scholars, it was their mothers, most of whom were illiterate, who were like, please, you know, teach my son. And they would take them to the feet of the scholars and say, teach him everything. One of them would find like pieces of wood in the garbage and sharpen it and put coal on it so he would have something to write with, you know? So it's motherhood and the sanctity of motherhood, the holiness of motherhood that I realized once I became one. And then I was like... This is why it was created. Yeah, that's beautiful. Thank you very much. This is why it's called Mommying Well Muslim. Yes, exactly. <laughs> we always we identify ourselves unapologetically as mothers first. But the reality of the situation is I consider the best things I've ever done, like when I see the love of my children for each other, the respect that they have for their elders— what they do in the community and how much they love their mama. I'm like, everything else is just icing on the cake. Yeah. That's a bonus for me. But that is fundamentally how I define success and happiness for me personally. We just listened to Zeba Hassan and Usma Jafri, who together are the hosts of the podcast, Mommying While Muslim. And they are not who anyone expects them to be, I think, when they sign up for this podcast. And the fact that it was white evangelical men who were their first audience, (laughs) it just, that is a delight to me to no end that those people in that audience wanted to open themselves up to learn more. And perhaps they thought these would be two safe people to hear it from. I feel like religion sort of helped them or informed them, both groups, Three Black Men and Momming While Muslim, I think religion played a role in how they created content, but also how they handled different experiences. I remember Zeba just talking about how sometimes people would be critiquing maybe what they're creating. And she just said something really beautiful. She said, the beauty of faith is knowing when you can let go. And I just thought... That's amazing that she can, through her faith, understand, okay, I'm doing what I need to be doing. I can release some of the feedback that I get from people because I know that I'm doing something that's that's good and powerful and it's for my God. And so I don't need to worry as much about what other people are thinking. Um, another question that Steve asked that I love was, do you think God is happy with the podcast that you've made and happy with the work that you're doing, which difficult question, but I like their answer to it. They just said, when you are taking care of God's creation, God is taking care of you. And I think that's beautiful. And it can play a role in our day-to-day lives when we are interacting with other people, just remembering that everything we do can come back to us. Yeah. I'm just impressed with the generosity of uh, our guests. Yes. To be willing to travel and be here in person. Yeah, leave their families, come out here, um, and put up with us. (laughs) (laughs) And um, they were as gracious as they were. 
We are very grateful as well to the BYU Law School for their annual review of religious freedom and their focus on community building that let us bring these great folks together to talk about online communities as well as physical communities. And just a final reminder, those two panel sessions that I moderated and Heather moderated with all of the guests you've just heard today will be a bonus podcast. So be sure you subscribe to the In Good Faith podcast so you don't miss that. Go ahead. (laughs) Wanting to make more friends? And who wouldn't? Podcast hosts Trey, Sam, and Rob met on Twitter, and look where they are now. Follow us at In Good Faith Pod to broaden your social circle and learn more about the guests on In Good Faith. Many thanks to Trey Ferguson, Samuel Gay, and Robert Monson, along with Zeba Hassan and Uzma Jaffrey for speaking with us today. This episode was produced by Heather Bigley. Our production team also includes Emma Engebretson, Leah King, and Katarina Martinich. Our sound designers include Joshua Fouts, Dallin Jepson, Daniel Phillips, Mitchell Towsley, and Carly Wilson. In Good Faith is committed to the idea that we all benefit from hearing people of widely varying backgrounds share their personal experience with faith and belief. In fact, we think people with such experience deserve some of our best listening. If you enjoy the show, share the episode with a friend or be sure and leave a comment or review where you get your podcasts. Find us on Twitter at In Good Faith Pod and on Instagram and Facebook at In Good Faith Podcast. In Good Faith is a production of BYU Radio. I'm Stephen Cap Perry. I hope you'll join me again soon, right here, In Good Faith. And if you're interested in an In Good Faith t-shirt, which is for our super fans, be sure you do follow us on Instagram, again, at In Good Faith Podcast. I'm just going to put my little timer on here. Let's go, Famous Steve. <laughs> That's your new name. Nah. See, I've got to tell my kids. They yeah. won't. They won't believe it. But yeah. tell, don't tell them. Don't talk to me like I'm like. Yeah, they like, I, like I, I've no. got profiles <laughs> yes. on me. Right. Don't, don't like, talk to me like I'm right. <laughs> Somebody today called me famous Steve. And yeah, like, it's gonna be on wax soon. Yeah. <laughs> now, one you famous dad in that house. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> They're not impressed. <laughs> That's, that's what not, kids. That's, that's not what a prerequisite. For. That's not a prerequisite at all. They can keep you humble and recognize at the same time. And you can still toot your own horn. Yeah. <laughs> that's why I have a podcast. <laughs> oh, okay. To compensate for what my kids did to me when I was raising them. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> so.